You are listening to Mountain to Glen, the podcast. Welcome to Mountain to Glen, the podcast. I am tonight's host, Neil Smith, playing second fiddle to me this evening is uh, the usual host, Robert, <laughs> and, uh, who is laughing at me, and, and, and rightly so. But for the next 30 minutes or so, I get to pretend and nominally be in charge, so that's all good. <laughs> Tonight, we are going to talk on the subject of waterproof. Um, as we record this, it's January, it's cold, it's miserable, it's wet, and everyone I speak to in, in the shop, everyone I speak to out and about, the, the subject is waterproof. Everybody wants it. Nobody believes it exists. Manufacturers are selling it. We're all spending money on buying it. And I want to explore a little bit of what does that mean? So when a boot or a jacket says waterproof on the label, what does that actually mean? What does it tell you? So we'll go from there. And we're going to start with boots, with footwear generally. And... Uh, it's it fairly simple. We're going to start with uh, leather because most people, I think, would see leather as being intrinsically waterproof. Whether it is or not is another question, but there is a definite um, waterproofness to the substance, especially when it's still on the cow. The instant that's removed to be turned into footwear, though, that waterproofing depends entirely on the chemical treatment that the leather gets in a tannery. And with the best will in the world, if you don't maintain that and add more chemicals through the life of the leather, that will that will be reduced. But what we're going to do is start with when you take a boot out of the box and it's leather and it's said waterproof on it, what does that mean for the leather? Basically, there are many European standards for what qualifies as waterproof. Um, boots get tested, the materials get tested the foam, the liners, the exteriors for water absorption, for water resistance. And then the whole boot, when it's all managed and put together, gets tested. And all of these tests have a standard. All of them have standards which are laid out in minute detail for people with no life who want to read through them. And they're available online if anybody wants their EN number. If you EN testing for hiking boots, there are lots of options that come up. But you can, leather that is waterproof is leather that will withstand water penetration for between four to eight hours, depending on um, the usage. And because the leather is waterproof, doesn't guarantee that the finished shoe is waterproof. Um, companies like Keen and Columbia and many others produce sandals, which are made of leather and they have waterproof stamped on them and the leather is waterproof, your feet will be very wet in them if you go up the bog in your sandals and you come back and complain. I will smile politely. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. Yeah, it seems a bit ridiculous having waterproof sandals, I have to say. It's, it just means that if you're using them on boats, if you're using them yeah. in the sea, if you, then you'll get away with that for a while because the leather won't just fall apart in a couple of weeks. So it's treated to be waterproof as a substance. The shoe itself 
clearly is basically a series of holes linked with leather, so that won't be waterproof. But the same testing goes into uh, leather that gets used for hiking boots. Some hiking boots are made from waterproof leather, but the seams will not be taped uh, or sealed. There won't be a Gore-Tex or Simpatex or anything Tex lining on the inside. So the boot may be a very high quality leather. It may have very thick high quality leather. It may be really well made and it's nominally waterproof for four hours, five hours, six hours. No problem. If you do short days and you rewax your boots all the time, you will be fine. That, that's your traditional leather boot. So if you go back to the 1970s, up until the, the mid 80s, really, that was your traditional leather boot. They were made as simply as possible with as few seams as possible. And if you were out for day walks, you'd probably get away with it. They weighed a ton. They were fine. The negative is, of course, leather is expensive. Boots are heavy. They do weigh a ton. They are an effort. And not everybody wants um, the testing process for those as a boot is exactly the same as the testing process for anything, a waterproof runner, a light fabric hiking boot. And when you get a complete shoe or a complete boot and it's being tested, there's basically the EU standard, this, the, the international standard that if you want to sell waterproof footwear, um, there has to be a tank filled high enough to get over the sole of the shoe. And you have to walk back and forth 20 meters at a time 10 metres at a time, umpteen times. The assumption is you'll take around about 100,000 steps and your boot has to withstand that. Um, that would be a normal standard. In practice now, you don't have tanks full of guys walking up and down. What you have is a machine that flexes the boot underwater, partially submerged. Um, Nick Wax were the company who were kind of instrumental in developing this kind of flex testing machine. And so it mimics a person walking up and down in water. And if you've got eight hours of flex testing and you get by, then your shoe is officially waterproof. In order to be um, guaranteed, then you're, you're, you get the minimum standard for most companies that they work. It was about 100,000 steps, which sounds quite a lot. And if you are going on a long trek, it's about three weeks. So you could have an officially waterproof boot that's absolutely fine and three weeks later it's not but it's still waterproof it hasn't broken down it hasn't done anything in reality most companies exceed this like the minimum standard for a Gore-Tex liner in a boot is 100 uh, 250,000 steps and 250,000 is you know three months maybe yeah. um, which still doesn't doesn't sound like a lot in practice they all do better than that the testing is quite harsh the testing um, contrary to what people think, the testing is harsher than going out on the hill and walking in the boots in many ways because there's no hiding place. It's just a machine beating the stuffing out of your boots in a tank of water. So it's, it's quite hard and, and it's relentless. The machine never stops for a sandwich and never puts his feet up. Um, so the, the testing is quite strict. But still, quarter of a million steps, three months worth of use. Most boots last better than that. Most of us wouldn't be too excited if they didn't. Um, so that's EN13073.2001 is the standard for whole boot testing. Um, and it is as close to useful a test as, as we have because it's as close to real life testing uh, as you'll get. If you hand a boot into a company for checking to see if it leaks, they won't do that. They'll just put it on a centrifuge. They'll spin it round uh, thousands and thousands of revs a minute. And in 10 minutes time, they will know exactly if the boot has 
uh, a leak or not. They fill, either fill the boot with some water and spin it and watch the water come out or submerse it in a tank, which they then spin and see if water gets in. So either way, it, it's pretty good for demonstrating that the boot is leaking or isn't. Um, but the industry standard is a flex tester. The 100,000 steps or 250,000 flexes, whichever standard people are working to, um, is quite old. Like the, the most recent version of that um, regulation was updated in 2001. It's as good as anyone has ever come up with because in real life, some people are meticulous in looking after their gear. And they come in off the hill, they clean off the muck, they hose off the debris, they wax their boots or they spray their boots and they look after things and they're amazing. And then there's me and people like me. And I come mm -hmm. in off the hill and I dump my stuff in the corner and I have a cup of tea and a biscuit. And then I might actually, oh, look, there's this thing I've just seen in my phone. And then I might decide it's time for something to eat. And then I might go out and see a friend. And then uh, a few days later, when I go for a walk and my stuff is still in the corner where I dumped it and I knock the big lumps off and go out again, my stuff will break down faster. Because I'm bone idle and don't have to worry too much about it. Whereas the people who care will have stuff that lasts and lasts and lasts. And I'm very impressed by them. So the testing takes no account of humanity. Some people will get much, much longer. Some people won't. Um, for the record, the test for work boots is a different one. So if hiking boots has a minimal test of 100,000 steps, the minimum standard for work boot in order to be declared genuinely waterproof as far as the regime is concerned is 5,000 steps a day's use if you're on a big building site and you're walking back and forth a lot one day you're you wouldn't want to be doing too much work and then you'd want to well <laughs> you wouldn't want to be outside frankly so yeah. the standards are pretty not that amazing in other things Likewise, you want to be a waterproof running shoe. There are different standards and they're not as meticulous. And so everything changes. Um, the reality is that the membrane is only as good as the rest of the boot. If the rest of the shoe or boot is light, 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 cheap, 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 you make them lighter by taking stuff out. You make them cheaper by taking stuff out. And so then it could... It, a, a traditional way of making things cheap is to have a vibrant sole and a Gore-Tex liner. And so you can charge for the important labels, but the actual structure of the boot isn't there. And the membrane, the Gore-Tex booty on the inside ends up having to work really hard because the rest of the boot doesn't support it. So it gets more bending, it gets more stressed and it breaks down faster. Um, generally speaking, as with many things in life, the better stuff costs more. And yeah. uh, such, such is life. I actually remember uh, a few years ago, I was uh, I was getting a new pair of boots and I didn't have a good amount, you know, I wasn't feeling too affluent at the time. And Mental had two versions of the same boot. I can't remember what the what names were, but I think one of them was Borneo. But I think it was, it was the same boot. One of them just had the Gore-Tex removed. One was um, a leather lining, one was a yeah, Gore-Tex lining. Yeah, and I, I went for the leather one. I, I remember been very... Punches at the time of that and so I always used to look after that boot more I've looked after the other ones I have to say it never let me down on the hills no they were great they're yeah. great I, I sold both the Borneo and the Burma side by side I, I worked in great outdoors for years and that, those two boots were classics they were the same boot with Gore-Tex or with leather you take your pick and the the reality is 
that most people wouldn't be out for long enough, often enough for the leather to break down enough that they get wet. Mm-hmm. And if you looked after it because you knew it was you were depending on the leather. So I, I remember once upon a time having a boot and I uh, took seam sealer to the stitching and sealed all the stitching. I went around it and I waxed the leather and I did the stitching around the stitched sole unit and kept that lacquered so that that was well sealed. And again, I never had wet feet. It was fine until I stopped bothering because frankly, I reached a point where they were getting on a little bit and I stopped kidding and and then you just got used to that your feet would get wet eventually and that was the norm before any kind of membranes came in you had boots that would keep you dry the vast majority of the time and when they didn't you just sucked it up and got wet and that was life and, and so we have a choice now but yeah the, the, the problem with the Borneo isn't that the Borneo didn't do what it was supposed to do a lot of people would have that and then come back in and say this leaks and you're like yep we know it does that because it doesn't have a water. And we have to be very careful sometimes to say this is not a waterproof boot. Even though you're never, ever going to get wet in it, probably, it's still not officially waterproof. And yeah, the, and there was there was like a 40 euro or something difference or 40 pounds difference in price when yeah. we first started selling it. Was it was significant. Now, right? um, weirdly now, the leather lining would be more expensive because Gore-Tex isn't, hasn't changed in price. It's just polyester or PTFE and polyester. Whereas leather has gotten much more expensive over the years. So nowadays, the Borneo is the dealer boot or the, the equivalent. The main problem with with any kind of footwear isn't, uh, in terms of leaking, isn't the testing regime or the materials or anything. Usually it's a fit thing. If your big toe hits the front, you'll go through the lining fairly quickly. If your little toe is scraping the side, you'll go through the lining very quickly. The linings are basically polyester fabric and... Uh, if you are pushing your whole body weight times gravity against that as you come down a hill, you'll go through that fairly sharpish. Your feet will also hurt, of course. Mm. Um, in my experience, people care about the boots more than their feet. They're prepared to cut <laughs> with their feet being in bits as long as their uh, shoes don't cost them any extra money. Uh, you know, my, my philosophy is if, it's, if it ain't comfortable on my foot, don't pay it. The interesting thing, when, when these guys are being made, when any of these things are being made, Gore insist on it, and most good manufacturers will follow the exact same regime, even if it's an on-brand componentry. So when the booty is made, they are about 20% of them will be inflated, you know, go through a compressed air hose, and they'll be dunked in a tank. And if there are any holes, you get a stream of bubbles coming out the hole. It's really obvious. So then these can be patched and used, or if there's a series of them, someone will get fired in all likelihood, or, or a taping machine will be checked, or usually... Um, it, it's quite quite significant at that point and, and very very visual when you see it um, you can most companies would be very very confident about their liners because they test a lot of them and uh, then when the boots are finally made they'll generally take again another 20 percent this is part of the gore regime uh, other companies of that quality will follow suit and will put some water inside the boot spin it on a centrifuge and see how many of those boots selected randomly um, have, have an issue. So most of the time, you don't have a say. You don't just make a boot and then check out the finished product. They're, they're checked every step of the way. The fabrics that get used are checked so that you don't end up with uh, a boot that's made up of something very, very absorbent that draws water up the cuff and then down into the inside of the boot. Say. Um, 
So if you were using suede in a boot, it would have to be incredibly well treated so that, that wasn't, it wasn't just soaking up water up to the top of the boot and wicking it inside the boot. Nobody needs that. And so mm-hmm. there are lots of things that happen before a shoe is even close to being finished and then the whole thing gets tested again. But the only thing is that most waterproof is time limited and use limited. And most of the time, no matter how good the leather, no matter how good, there will come a point where your boots will fall to bits. You will find things wear out. It would make life much easier if you could just say, here's this magic spray that makes them all better. Like the stuff they use for footballers. If you had a magic spray for shoes and boots, that would make life much, much easier. Um, That's it, really. Footwear is an item of gear that we demand an awful lot of. You know, we, we want it to be lightweight, we want it to be cushioned, but we want it to be stable and we want it to be waterproof and we want it to be breathable, which it isn't really in truth. And we want it to do lots of other things and we want it to cost five euro and we, we you know, <laughs> we ask a lot. Yeah. And it generally does quite well. But there are limits, there are always limits. The one thing I would say to anyone walking in Ireland and have said in a boringly repetitive way for over 20 years here now, is that if you don't wear gaiters, crap gets into your boots, including water. Yeah, Bits of heather will get into your boots, bits of sand will get into your boots, bits of muck will get into your boots, bits of everything gets into your boots. Um, if anybody doesn't wear gaiters and doesn't want to, put one gaiter on and go for a walk. Put a gaiter on your left rather than your right. And at the end of the day, take the insoles out of both boots and see how much is accumulated in there. There's a lot of vegetation in Whitlam. I go out the back of my house, up onto Raleigh Ward Hill there, and around onto Sorrel, and you can end up tramping through an awful lot of heather. All of that ends up inside your boots if you're not wearing gaiters. They're really handy. The biggest hole in any piece of footwear is the great big one at the top where you stick your foot. An awful lot of problems would be solved if that was just covered up. So it's very simple. Good argument for um, gators there on its own. Yeah, gators, boring, but useful. That's worth, it, worth the T-shirt slogan on its own. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think when you're talking waterproof in footwear, we are, for those people who've been around for a while with long memories, we've come a long way since the 80s. The first waterproof membrane in a, in a boot came from um, Carrymore. Well, it was the KSB KSB Winder, and, and they used that as uh, a test for all manner of things. And Asolo made it. So back before Carrymore were rubbish and just part of Sports Direct, they were a genuinely innovative, high-end outdoor company who did amazing things and worked with incredible partners. And Asolo made the first lightweight boots for them um, with a waterproof membrane. And the waterproof membrane was a plastic bag. It was literally a polythene membrane. It was a booty that was a heavy-duty bin bag shaped as a foot and stuck in there. And they had, um, for insulation, they had some very thin karimat foam inside the boot. They were quite warm, but oh my, it was like going for a winter walk in a welly. By the time you got home, they were soaked. And so when people like me are bitter and twisted and say things like they're not very breathable boots. They're better than a plastic bag. <laughs> it's a low bar, but they're much better than that. Um, How far we've come. <laughs> uh, and we have. We've come an amazing yeah, way. Yeah. If you were wandering around in a pair of 
um, crappy 15 pound leather boots with the toe screwed on at the front with three screws, as I had at one point, and a cagoule that was made out of something with the consistency of tarp that came down to your knees. You know, it, it wasn't a sexy look. It's, it's amazing that any of us, any of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s hill walking ever met a woman, frankly, because <laughs> we looked desperate. We're like wandering around with these things down her ankles and her crappy boots limping and carrying wet rucksacks. And it's like, are you doing anything Saturday night? Clearly not. <laughs> and you're giving a good impression, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's me. Some memories are best left in the past. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to take a moment to move on to waterproof clothing now. We'll say goodbye to footwear. It's good. And... It's just not magic, but it is very good. Um, everybody has opinions about, about what is constant, what is waterproof and what isn't. Waterproof is really easy. Most things are waterproof. Um, wander through a few gorse bushes and most things aren't waterproof. Mm. But they will keep you dry, though, still, even though there may be some holes in them. Uh, people uh, generally have gear that works incredibly well beyond what most of us need most of the time. I, I just gave a friend of mine a jacket, which was an amazing bit of gear, and it, it hurts almost to give it away, but I'll never use it again, probably, and it's much more useful to him. And if I wake up tomorrow and it's minus 30 in Wicklow and Blessington, well, then I've made a big mistake. But on the assumption that it's not going to get that cold, I'm not going to need that jacket again. Um, so a lot of gear that we have is, is overkill for the conditions we use it in. And um, But everybody everybody has problems with waterproof jackets and waterproof pants. And, and that's just life. Yeah. We are complicated creatures. And most gear is trying to work with imperfect humans who are complicated. We ask a lot of our shoes. We ask a lot of our, our ring wear as well. Again, the biggest... The biggest hole in any rainwear are the ones where your head pops out, and it's very hard to stop that. Um, it would be very easy to make something that was entirely um, waterproof, but you wouldn't have sleeves. Your head would be inside the plastic bag. Your vision would be tricky. There are practical things that get in the way of perfect waterproof, and that's okay. Um, but in, in terms of the construction, they're all... They're fabric on the outside, they are a membrane on the inside or a coating on the inside, and that all works and is very reliable. And there is a durable, not durable, water repellent coating on the outside, which is okay for a short while, and none of us replenish it often enough. None of us wash our jackets and reproof our jackets enough. And therefore, the breathability is gank. They get wet on the outside and there's nothing to be done about them. And 20 years ago, there would be people wandering around going, I've got this jacket. It's amazing. It's brilliant. It never lets me down. I never do anything to it. And that was true because the chemicals that were used for the DWR 20 years ago were amazing and toxic and killed people and are now long gone. So 18 years ago was the last time those chemicals were used. Chemical that has been used most often since is being phased out again in favour of something that's even less toxic and even cleaner. And you probably still don't want to drink it, but it's definitely better. Mm. And the original replacement chemical needs reproofed and rewashed more often. The one that's coming in now, you're, you're, lots of the more responsible and 
more intelligent companies, because everyone's going to have to do this. Some companies are just getting ahead of the field now, are bringing in PFC-free water repellent coatings, which will require even more work to keep them um, from, from wetting out. And such is life. The rules are changing. And you can't say, here's this amazing jacket and it kills stuff. But as long as you're not personally responsible, you know, there have to be, there's someone who makes rules and it has become more difficult to get a DWR that works. But most jackets will outperform most people's needs most of the time. People get, as, as with as with footwear, there, there are standards and there are standards for the fabric on its own. There are standards for testing taped seams. There are standards for testing the entire jacket or the entire pant. There are various tests that are basically the equivalent of sticking someone in the shower fully dressed and seeing how wet they get um, one way or the other and, and they all work there's also the one that gets quoted all the time um or there are two standards i suppose for for jackets and pants that get quoted all the time um, which are of no relevance whatsoever so so today's controversial opinion um, the hydrostatic head measurement is of no worthwhile benefit to anyone it means nothing and it just obscures uh, rather than illuminate. Um, basically, this is always described as if you had a one centimeter wide glass tube um, that went up to the sky and you filled it with water across a sample of the fabric, how many meters or millimeters of water would it take for the pressure to force itself through the fabric? Um, the glass tube no longer exists. It's just a pressure gun putting water onto the fabric and at steadily increasing pressure. But when Gore was um, being launched, they made a big statement about their hydrostatic head measurement was 40,000 millimetres because they were supplying gear to the army. And if you were crawling on your hands and knees across rocky terrain, then this was the pressure you could expect to get on a garment. And it would, if your jacket wasn't up to that level, then it wouldn't be waterproof. This may or may not be true. I have no reason to doubt it. It's also stunningly irrelevant. Nobody... Nobody cares. No, you know, very few people go down the high street on their hands and knees. Mm. And the number is not, the hydrostatic head measurement is not legally required. It's not something that is um, part of anyone's relevant testing regime. It's just something that manufacturers have found people like because it sounds sciencey. It sounds like numbers and maths is very serious and therefore it must mean something. But a hydrostatic head measurement on its own tells you very little. And by and large, the thicker fabrics perform better. Whether they have a membrane or not, thicker fabrics will perform better. Um, and if you want a super light jacket for running, well, that's no use to you because you don't want something that's really thick and stiff and restrictive. And they may be ideal for me plodding around at a wee hill in my backyard. But if somebody is running 260 odd miles along the Pennine Way in January as part of the spine race, that's not a very helpful jacket. It's probably half of their weight and it certainly takes up, you know, four times more space in the rucksack. So you'll find these that number gets quoted a lot. It's 10,000 mil, it's 20,000 mil, it's 40,000 mil. And, and none of those numbers matter because in reality, once you're over 1,200, your garment is almost certainly waterproof. So once you're at two or 3,000, it's waterproof. How well it lasts on a lightweight fabric is open to question, but the original lab results will, will tell you a lot about, or they won't tell you a lot about that. It'll just tell you what it's like in a lab on a brand new piece of fabric. The 
acid test is how well it goes six months down the line, really, because nobody wants to be buying a new jacket every few weeks. If there's anyone listening to this who does want to buy a new jacket every few weeks, I'll be absolutely delighted to see you in my day job. So feel free. <laughs> um, you're you're my your best friend. <laughs> um, it would be uh, like the, the average umbrella has a hydrostatic head of about 100 to 150, which is nowhere near waterproof. It's not even close. And yet people use umbrellas day in, day out, all over the world, and they work. They're perfectly effective. Um, the standard is something that we like to talk about, but it, it's not a number that has any real bearing on life. I see it on tents all the time. I see it on jackets. I see it on pants. The hydrostatic head is a cool way to say, here you go, we're 4,000, 6,000, 20,000. None of that will make a difference in terms of how waterproof you be today. Waterproof, as I, I have a very limited range of um statements uh, but but the one i massively overuse is that waterproof is like pregnant there's no slightly waterproof there's no slightly pregnant waterproof is waterproof and when it stops being waterproof it's not half waterproof it's zero waterproof and that's usually because there's a hole in the fabric or because it just scraped away to nothing and it's it's just one of those things if we uh if we were all perfect human beings with no limbs and the ability to levitate, we could easily all get into our simple plastic bag arrangements that <laughs> would be cheap. It would be absolutely no no problem. You can get a very high result on a hydrostatic head test by um, putting an incredibly thick coating on a relatively lightweight fabric, but the flex means that that would break down fairly quickly. So what normally happens is you get a coating or a membrane that will match the thickness of the fabric. So three layer jackets will tend to last longer and give you better numbers. Uh, the negative is they will be less pleasant to wear for some people. They'll be much less soft. They'll be much stiffer. They'll be more restrictive in their movement. So a climber, for instance, wouldn't want one. If you're doing ice climbing in complicated waterfalls, you probably want something with a bit more flex. A runner certainly wouldn't want one. And but they could be spot on for somebody who's a you know regular everyday hill walker. Could be great, but it's got nothing to do with the number. It's 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 a durability thing. And there you go. That's hydrostatic head. That's my little hobby horse all done there anyway. So I'll stop ranting about that. <laughs> you can see why it's a great sales pitch for just someone coming in. The bigger number the is more waterproof. Yeah, yeah. What could go wrong? Um, so yeah, reproofing. It doesn't really change how waterproof something is. It change how it changes how well the outside of the garment repels moisture. So when they're brand new, all waterproof garments, quite a lot of trekking pants and quite a few other things as well, if you pour water on them, it just beads and rolls off and it's marvellous. And that means the surface of the, the jacket is always dry, always. Um, and so therefore the breathability is maximised so you'll feel drier. If the DWR has worn off, and you are me, and you haven't done anything about that because you can't be bothered, because it's a bit like you have to like put it in the wash. And who's got that kind of time? I'm very important person, don't you know? Um, <laughs> it's plausible if you don't know me. Um, so once that DWR has worn off, the outside fabric of your jacket will soak up moisture. 
it'll just get wet on the outside. It won't bead and roll off, it'll just sit there. And what that means is that the perspiration that's inside the jacket stays inside. It has nowhere to go and it will just start soaking everything. And if you're standing at the bus stop, waiting for the number 65 bus from Blessington to Dublin, you won't care, it won't matter. If you are walking down the high street towards the bus stop and the bus stop's a couple of miles away and it's all flat, it'll be a very minor detail and you won't care too much, but you'll certainly, you'll feel damp. If, however, you're walking up a hill and you're carrying a pack that's maybe got five kilos of weight in it, well, now you'll really notice because you'll be soaked. You'll be absolutely soaked inside your impermeable plastic bag of a jacket that is soaked on the outside and soaked on the inside. You will be warm and wet rather than cold and wet, but you will be wet. And it's because the breathability that was spoken about in the shop has no longer exists. It's gone. It's gone from not very much to zero. And so um, reproofing will make you feel much drier without affecting the waterproof membrane at all. It's just that the breathability is now zero and some moisture can't escape. Um, just on breathability, the other science number that companies like to make a big deal out of is the moisture vapour transmission rate, the MVTR. This is of no relevance. This is even less useful than a hydrostatic head. I would happily execute the person who invented this and put them on the 6-1 use as I did so. Um, so basically, across a, a sample of fabric is put across an opening by a, a distiller's tube, and water is heated up, boiled, and how much moisture gets through the sample of the fabric and collects in the other side of the still in 24 hours is measured. And it's 40,000 grams or 15,000 milliliters or whatever. It's virtually nothing because if your body temperature is 100 degrees, you're dead, and your jacket is not very important anymore. 100 degrees tells you very little about how well your jacket will work in real life. Testing at 37 degrees gives you much, much less flattering figures, which is why no one uses those tests. Um, Columbia and Mountain Hardware did it uh, nine years ago, maybe, nine or 10 years ago. They brought out a new, uh, new fabric, new membrane. It was going to be amazing. It was much more breathable. Land it was, it was much more breathable at 37 degrees. And they made a point of putting the number up for 37 degrees. And they should have just done it for 100 degrees because everybody across the world looked at this number and said, oh, no, this fabric here, anything text is so much better. Sometimes people just don't want the truth. They want the, the flattering fairy tale. It's better. But the moisture vapor transmission rate is only going to be of relevance if you're a mutant whose body temperature is 100 degrees. If you don't come from Venus, then it's of no relevance. It, it doesn't have any bearing in real life. It's not very important. Um, the, just uh, a flashy number that, that people get sucked in by. It sounds scientific. It sounds like it's based on... Mathematics is very, very important, and so it must be serious. If it's got numbers behind it, people, people like numbers. I like numbers. These ones just don't mean anything. Mm. Um, and, and again, there are... All these numbers relate to hard shell fabrics, but there are perfectly acceptable waterproof garments out there which aren't hard shell fabrics. Everyone knows Padamo, or a lot of people know Padamo, which is a, a two-layer um, clothing system, if you like, and it, it was brought in by Nickwax. It is extraordinarily breathable, and it is, in all practical senses, waterproof. And you are unlikely 
to find a more breathable jacket than a paramol jacket anywhere on earth. They worked really well. Buffalo had a similar concept, differently executed. Yeah. And most days, most of the time, you would find yourself um, dry. These worked on a different system. If you put those garments on a pressure tester, they would fail. They wouldn't rate as waterproof. They'd barely rate as um, wearable uh, in, on some of those tests. But they work and they work really well. And there are limits to those. If you are a mountain guide digging an avalanche pit on the side of a hill in Cairngorm, then Potomol has limits because you'll get wet knees as you roll around in the snow, chucking things around. There's no question. It's not perfect, but it's very, very comfortable. And you can do very strenuous activities without feeling like you are now as wet as if you just walked out of the shower fully clothed. And it's it's a very good thing. And the numbers are not in its favour, but it doesn't matter because it still works. It's like those people who have that old story about the bumblebees that can't fly and nobody has told the bees this, so they carry on flying around all over the place. I have so, to say, I, I've been using Paramo for years myself now. I've been using the same Paramo jacket for years, actually. And, you know, I've, I've never had a day's problem with it at all. Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. There's very little to go wrong. It's a fundamentally simple system. Um, if it's very hot out, it's quite a warm jacket to wear. If you are kneeling or sitting, then, yeah, you'll get watery. But if you're actually just yeah. using it like you're supposed to, put it on, go for a walk, come home you're almost certainly going to be absolutely fine almost all the time. It's very, very comfortable. It, it's one of those things where if uh, if it's not measurable by normal testing, it tends to get overlooked by an awful lot of commentators, but it definitely shouldn't be. And as a Paramo started it, but Buffalo and Montaigne and Norna and lots of other companies have something not dissimilar, let's call it, and uh, it works really well. Just on the subject of breathability, manufacturers have spent the last 40 years telling us how amazing breathable is it's pretty nice it's not a big deal it tends to be less amazing than we're told if you are looking at getting jackets or pants in a hard shell get them with pit zips get them with pocket vents get them with side zips that you can open on the trousers and you'll be a much more comfortable person because venting is amazing letting the air out through a great big hole worked really well and uh, it works incredibly well by and large, you don't get those zips and vents on cheaper jackets. They reserve them for better options, but that's okay. By and large as well. Uh, my phrase of the day is by and, by and large. But the other thing um, to bear in mind is that if you have a fabric which is lighter weight and more breathable, it almost certainly needs more reproofing because if you don't, you make these membranes, you make these coatings more breathable by having your holes in them or more holes. And the more hole you have, the more important it is that the surface coating is maintained because otherwise you will definitely feel yourself getting damp faster. Um, and, and that's waterproof, I suppose. Um, everybody wants it. It's quite important. It's one of those things that having waterproof gear allows us to go out for a large chunk of the year when otherwise we'd be looking out the window going, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> And it makes less good days entirely enjoyable sometimes. Yeah. Knowing you're not going to die of hypothermia is very helpful. That was a Being bonus. Huh? Soaking and freezing uh, is definitely a bonus. The reality is that it's not quite as presented. I suppose there's, there's work to be done there. And the best thing ever doesn't exist yet. 
there will one day be the most amazing, high-tech, magical solution to staying dry in bad weather. Um, it just, it, it isn't anything that we have now. Um, and there's a lot of work done behind the scenes by people who make, by and large, you know, pretty good gear or very good gear in many cases, just to make sure things make a standard and function as are. Most companies can't help themselves. They exaggerate where they feel they'll get away with it. Even some of my favorite companies who are very, very honest about the limitations will sometimes get carried away and say, oh, and this is amazing, and it will blah, blah, blah. But that apart, and, and we're, all, we're all very excited about our offspring sometimes, being the cleverest kid in class or whatever. And, and that's how some designers get. You know, it's as, as simple as that. Yeah. And sometimes people are just like, this is amazing. And it's less amazing than you might think because of things that haven't quite come through yet. Um, I had the most amazing boots given to me one time um, with an external membrane on them. And they were phenomenal. And I thought they were so good that I ordered them for Charles Camping. I got them in and I thought, we'll stop. These are amazing. And they were not amazing. And the ones I was given were pre-production samples when they were testing. And they were all made in small batches in a very um, controlled factory environment. By the time they hit the market, they had real trouble scaling that up and getting that level of quality on 50,000 pairs rather than 250 pairs. Okay. They just didn't last. They delaminated. They, they just couldn't get the qualities to, to stick. And so sometimes you see these amazing things that nearly work. They're very, very close. And in the end, it got abandoned because in order to make it, uh, the boots, I think, retailed at 200 euro. In order to make sure that all of them were as good as the pair that I originally got to test, they'd have to be like seven or 800 repair and that wow. and so sometimes it's not really a technology thing it's it's can you make the technology work in a marketplace um, so that would have easily been the least work most waterproof boot i'd ever used and uh, it lasted for one year less than a year really and so sometimes the, the, there are incredibly good ideas out there and they fail because things didn't work out down the road a little bit the testing didn't find out you can't be giving a pile of stuff to people to find out what, what goes wrong for all that there are lots and lots of tests and testing regimes and testing bodies and numbers the best test of anything is you throw it out there on the market and watch what fifty thousand ordinary people can do and there are some damage sometimes it's pretty damn serious mm. but there's no coming you know there's no hiding place there. Once things hit the market, if lots of people have problems, then you have a problem as a manufacturer. And You're going to see a lot of opinions coming back. And, oh, yeah. And, yeah. well, opinions coming back, gear coming back, lots of things coming back. Um, sometimes it doesn't work. By and large, very good. Companies tend not to take a lot of risks most of the time. Because if you take a big risk and it doesn't pay off, that's not good. But if you, um, if you stick to the playbook and you're ordinary, then you, you can't go too far wrong. But it's the, the guys who take the risks are great, though, because they really push things forward sometimes. Yeah. And, and that's this evening. That's, that's waterproof. Um, it's a relatively concise um, story, to be honest. And I hope that has cleared things up or enlightened 
or thrown some light at least on, on the subject. Um, I'm a big fan of waterproof, having spent much of my early working life trudging around in leather boots that had all the waterproof qualities of a tea bag. In this <laughs> of um, and so it's dear to my heart. And there have been many days I've come home, taken off my gear, and I've been absolutely golden underneath, bone dry, happy out. And uh, so it, it does work. There are realistic expectations, and I think there are minimal standards expected of people who put stuff out there. But yeah. it's, it's a good system by and large. And yeah. we'll probably get better. I remember my very first pair of hill walking boots about years and years ago. Very good grips on them, great ankle support. But uh, never mind rain, if you're even walking through wet grass, <laughs> you could forget it. Like, no, your feet got wet straight away. I yeah. am so happy to get rid of those pair of boots. <laughs> yep. I, I went from my leather boots I was talking about earlier. The one I bought them from a guy at school. They cost me £15. They were solid leather. The sole had three screws on the toe to hold the front of the sole on to the bottom of the boot. And so there was enough boot to screw into. Uh, but they were they were not comfortable. They just weren't. And when Carrymore brought in the original KSB, I got a pair. My boss got a pair, so I got a pair from my Saturday job. Um, he thought they were amazing. I thought this is this sounds like me now, you know, not coming home. But and they were a joy. They were absolutely featherweight. They were stable. They were incredible. They leaked like a sieve. They had no waterproofing whatsoever at all, not a little bit. And so if you went out on a day that was remotely damp, or if you walked through damp grass, you're instantly soaked. It's the ability to produce that weight of boot, that comfort of boot, and waterproof that has been the big change. If we all had the choice of lightweight, leaky boots or huge, great big leather things, there'd be far fewer people on the hill for a start. <laughs> I know a few people who wouldn't mind that, but, you know, it's been a huge step forward from the allegedly good old days. And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. There are lots of options out there. People can take their pick on how, how serious a boot they want, how stiff a boot they want, how, but no matter what, waterproof is waterproof. If it says waterproof and it has a, an actual booty or a membrane of some kind, you're going to be dry. Maybe not forever. You will definitely depend on the fit. But if the fit is good, you will get usually a pretty fair amount of time out of them. By the time the membrane has gone, by and large, the rest of the boot is on the way out anyway. That's the the unspoken thing, I suppose. Most companies don't mention it. See, by the way, by the time this leaks, the rest of your boot will be not far behind or has already um, started springing holes and wear. Except for your paramo jacket, because that will go on forever as long as you keep washing it. Oh, hi. Yeah, I've had that for quite a number of years now and still going strong. So no complaints on that one. Can't argue with that. Okay. That is us for this evening, I think, is it? Well, if anyone has any questions or anything like that, they'd like to uh, pop along through social media or you can email us on mountaindeglen at email.com. And until next time, uh, out there and enjoy, and enjoy your waterproofs as well, as long as they're not leaking. Even if you uh, don't enjoy your waterproofs, at least have them with you on some of the weather we have now. It's not nice out there at times. And uh, if you do have questions, yeah, get in touch. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, gear-wise or anything-wise, just get in touch. And uh, it'd be great to hear from you. Thanks. And a very good night to everyone. Cheers. If you want to contact us, then you can do so by emailing us at mountaintoglen at gmail.com or by following Mountain to Glen, the podcast 
on Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening.